0: Are there any black influencers that have actually been paid for their labor? I mean, I'm feeling a little spicy today. I was contacted by them and they offered to pay me $15.
1: (laughs) I am female, biracial. I have 90,000 followers on TikTok and was approached by to create four TikTok videos for them per month. I told them my rate is $1,500. They told me they only wanted to do it in exchange for clothes.
2: I'm a 20-year-old Black content creator on TikTok. I have 95,000 followers and my engagement rate is 23%. After reading through this account, I realized that I've been underselling myself completely. It's truly opened my eyes.
1: So there's this Instagram account. It's called Influencer Pay Gap, and it exists to give a little transparency about what influencers make. But it's also there to document the pay gap between white influencers and influencers of color. What you just heard are posts from the account. Most of the submissions are anonymous, so we had some friends read them. This account is one of the most eye-opening things that I've discovered while making this podcast. The micro-influencer, Danya Naguera, who you heard from in previous episodes, she's the first one who told me about it.
3: Any person of color noticed that they were getting paid less as opposed to just a regular, a white influencer
1: in the influencer industry, women mostly make more than men. But there's still a pretty steep racial pay gap. Like I said, Danya was among the first to bring this up to me. But she certainly wasn't the last.
3: One thing that we've always noticed that there's some influencers of color who their quality of content are just Crazy! It's insane. It's perfect. Like the picture quality. Like they're out there paying photographers. They're doing the most, as opposed to just a regular influencer. They will just take a shot in their house with their dog in a nice background, but they'll get paid probably five hundred dollars for that post, as opposed to maybe one hundred for a black influencer.
1: What's also interesting to me that a couple of times you've used the word regular influencer instead of just white influencer. <sighs> Influencing does feel like influencing so white mm-hmm. the use of language is so yeah. interesting
3: yeah even after i said it i was thinking in my mind i'm like why did i say regular it just seems so normal because even outside of the influencing industry that's what's normal like as a beauty for everything lifestyle they're just regular but everyone else is just we're just different you know and it's not the standard
1: Social media is a reflection of our lives, of the world we live in, that has never been more true to me than reporting this podcast and hearing from all of you who are listening to it in real time. The people we interact with, the language we use, it's all just a version of what we do in real life. It shouldn't come as a surprise that the systemic issues that exist in our world, in everyday life, also bleed into the influencer space, but they do. Danya provides just one example of this. Racial inequality is embedded into the influencer space and it weighs so heavily on influencers of color. Other parts of our world, all of the other parts that contributed to the shitstorm of a dumpster fire that was 2020, are present too. Politics, rage, misogyny, conspiracy theories, those are all things that find their way online and can make our feeds a dark, dark place. I'm Joe Piazza, and the whole goddamn world is under the influence. Chapter 8 It's time for a reckoning. So, in the week between our last episode and now, a lot has happened in the world. There was a major traffic jam in the Suez Canal. The Mars rover Curiosity took a selfie. And one other big thing that you might have heard about.
4: Yeah, so last week, Chrissy Teigen in, you know, a a classic uh, Chrissy-toned, very earnest and cheeky nine-tweet thread announced that she was going to be permanently leaving Twitter.
1: That is MSNBC columnist Emma Gray. She covered the news of Chrissy leaving Twitter.
4: It was big news.
1: And Chrissy happened to leave Twitter the same exact week that we ran our episode, Burning Cats, about how terrible it is to be a woman on social media. Chrissy, are you listening? Anyway, I asked Emma why the world cares so much about Chrissy Teigen leaving Twitter.
4: You know, Chrissy Teigen has been, I think, referred to in a lot of... Um, media posts as like the unofficial queen of Twitter. She's like the clapback queen. Um, She always has like a witty one-liner. And suddenly we come to find that she is tired and has been sort of fundamentally depleted by spending so much energy answering so many people 100% of the time on the internet and I think Twitter especially can be a really easy breeding ground for harassment and Chrissy is just kind of like I'm out and I think that a lot of very online people especially very online women and particularly women of color who I think get kind of the lion's share of the most severe Uh, negative feedback on a platform like Twitter are just feeling fundamentally, existentially exhausted. I think that the truth is that no matter who you are, no matter what your platform is, when you are sort of hit, as she put it, I think when you are taking so many two follower count punches... Um, over time, yeah. you become bruised, and that is just like fucking draining.
1: Yeah, it's fucking draining, and it's a, and we know that it's also more draining because there's so much more hate directed against women of color on social media. Um, you know, Chrissy's mixed race, and I feel the women of color that I've talked to who are influencers who are who put all of their lives on social media just tell me that they feel even more attacked and more attacked from different sides and from different kinds of people and that the hate is just so heavy and weighs on them. Have
4: you seen this at all in your reporting? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Black women... I think are 84% more likely than white women to be tagged into an abusive tweet. Um, and, And white women get quite a lot of hatred on the internet. So when you're compounding misogyny with racism, and obviously it's not just black women, it's all women of color.
1: The hate and the misogyny heaped on women of color on social media is just the tip of the iceberg of the systemic racism that occurs on social media. Just the tip. Creators of color, Black creators, they face a way, way steeper uphill battle to break into the world of influencing and to make the money they deserve from creating.
5: A Black tax is like an extra tax or weight that Black people have to carry simply because we're Black Um, when it comes to just opportunities in general, but specifically for employment opportunities.
1: That is Tina Meeks. She's a creator and a goddamn goddess, and she runs the Her Life Sparkles Instagram account.
5: A lot of times when people talk about it, they think about it in terms of Black men, but Black women are even lower on the totem pole than Black men in a lot of of situations when it comes to opportunity to advancement or pay um, income or just somebody believing that they're worth an opportunity. And it transcends across any space, including the influencer space.
1: The Black Tax is so real in the influencer space. Tina has a wildly successful business. She's also delightful, by the way, just goddamn delightful to talk to. She influences, but she also coaches other influencers on how they can make money. Tina and every influencer of color that I spoke to told me they felt like they had to work harder, work better than their white counterparts. And none of this is in their imagination. The pay gap between black influencers and white influencers is very, very real
5: cuz there are a lot of brands that just don't want to work with black black women or black influencers because they don't think that we fit their target audience or we, they don't think that we fit their demographic and and sometimes they don't they don't believe that we're capable of delivering the results that you know our white counterparts do but in a lot of cases it's quite the opposite sometimes we we not only produce, we produce more or we produce with more intentionality. I pride myself on having good work ethic, but that same level of expectation should be across the board and it isn't.
1: And of course, undervaluing Black women's work, all of their work, goes so much deeper than just the influence space, especially in tech. To talk more about it, I phoned a friend who was not Glittis.
2: I'm Bridget Tad. I'm the host and creator of the podcast on iHeartRadio called There Are No Girls on the Internet, where we explore the intersection of underrepresented identities and all things the internet.
1: Bridget's show, by the way, is fucking amazing. You should all listen to it. In fact, take a minute. Just go do, do your search. There are no girls on the internet and subscribe. Bridget, in addition to being a fellow nap dress enthusiast, is also an amateur internet historian. And she is insanely qualified to talk us through the background of how women of color have been marginalized on the internet since the very beginning of the internet.
2: When you look at the history of the way that women of color, especially Black women, show up online, it's this weird sort of duality where it's a story of, you know, innovation and joy and creation and talent but also a story of exploitation and theft and not being treated as if you are a full participant in this experience, you know. I believe that at the heart of many internet experiences is this understanding or assumption that Black women, women of color, don't belong there. When you look at things like influencers being paid unfairly, you know, this idea that it's black talent that creates, and that is just sort of seen as the fuel of the internet, right, and so when black folks make things online, it's kind of assumed that, oh, it belongs to everybody, everybody can get out on this, and it doesn't matter who created it because it's just something that makes the internet cool and fun, but actually, it does matter who creates it, you know, it does matter whose name gets attached to it or whose name gets left off of it, and unfortunately, when we look at the history of the internet, when it comes to black folks and women of color, The story is our name getting left off of it and other people capitalizing on our talent and our labor online.
1: What are some examples of Black women being left out of the narrative of the internet and the success of the internet?
2: A good example, uh, 22-year-old Sydney McRae. She is this Black uh, TikToker who has over a million followers. This is me, Sky Beauty. I am the creator of the Captain Hook
0: Challenge.
2: She like, went viral I'm after she was dancing to that Megan Thee Stallion song, Captain Hook. And Universal Music Group gave her $700 to promote a little Tekka song, Out of Love. New call in the same ring. I just want to make money with the same gang. No glass, no then a the white influencer, gang. Addison Ray Esterling, was paid thousands of dollars just to emulate this dance that a Black creator first did. Everybody same
3: No no
1: Coincidence, a few days after I talked to Bridget, Addison Ray was brought on The Tonight Show to a segment where she teaches TikTok dances to Jimmy Fallon. She did eight dances. All of them were originally choreographed by Black TikTok creators. Do you think the show credited any of them? They sure didn't. But don't worry, the internet is all over it and they're already really mad at Addison and Jimmy and The Tonight Show. Thankfully, this has just raised more awareness that this is constantly happening to Black creators online.
2: Truly, you can sort of see how Black women create the thing and the thing goes viral. They're not really paid you know, what they should be paid for it. And then white creators who kind of get in, on the, get in on it after the fact make more. And I think it really comes down to whose voices and whose talent is seen as valuable. I think it can, it can shape how you think of yourself. You know, I am not worthy. I am not seen as worthy. Therefore, I need to essentially kill myself to always be creating, always be doing a good job, always be on, never give myself a moment to rest because I've internalized that I need to work just that hard to get less than my white counterparts.
1: And that is insane. It's insane because there is so much money to be made right now. And this industry is still so new, such a baby, that we need to make sure it doesn't fall into the same old historical patterns of inequity and injustice that every other industry in the fucking world has fallen into. Everyone needs to take what these women are doing and creating very seriously it is a business
2: facebook's own in- internal sort of reporting mechanisms really do underscore that it is creators of color who are driving the most traffic on their platforms and so um, according to an internal facebook report Black and Latino users outperformed other performers on almost all metrics the company cares about, engagement, overall time on platform, time spent on video. And so they know that we are the ones who are, you know, keeping their platforms relevant and keeping eyeballs on screens, which is what they say they want. And yet they continue to create, you know, platforms that really do bake bias into their platforms. and so platforms and leaders and you need to take some accountability for that the way that they've built bias right into their platforms. And that's why one of the reasons why I'm so excited that you're doing this work with your show because I think for a long time, people just undervalued sort of the influencer economy just in general. And so, you know, people weren't writing about it. people weren't researching it. people were not exploring it. I want a meme of Samuel L. Jackson saying it's a
1: business story, motherfucker." I'm going to ask. I'm going to call his agent right now. (laughs) Because we are very good journalists here at Under the Influence, we tried to get Instagram to comment on all of this. Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. I wanted them to talk to us and comment on this whole fucking podcast, the whole thing. But uh, got totally ghosted. We tried. And we're still trying. Instagram, call me. Anyway, it's important to hold these platforms accountable and also to hold the brands that advertise on these platforms accountable. When we get back from the break, we are gonna talk to the women who are bringing these brands to task. Women who took matters into their own hands because no one else will. There's this quote that I love. Nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. That quote is by Victor Hugo, and I apologize for quoting a white man. But to be honest, the time has come. In May of 2020, when a reckoning on race swept the nation in the wake of George Floyd's death, we learned just how powerful it is to speak up, that nothing will change if people stay silent. That has proved true in the influencer space too. Influencers of color are speaking up, and thankfully, some people are finally listening. One of the platforms that's been exposing this disparity is an Instagram account called Influencer Pay Gap. It was started last year by Adesua Ajahi, a Black woman who works at the talent agency AGM and manages influencers.
6: I created the Influencer Pay Gap page, um, just given my time and space and just kind of reaching the point where I just felt, you know, people need to be talking about this on a mass scale. I just kind of felt like it was often black managers or whatever, um, or influencers and creators either here or across the pond speaking about it, but on just an industry-wide level, I felt like it was often ignored and wasn't being necessarily being taken seriously or even addressed.
1: Through the posts on this account, Ajahi asks influencers to anonymously detail their past brand campaigns. She asked them to share their engagement rate, how much they were paid, exactly what they had to do in very explicit detail, their race and where they're based.
6: I definitely think the disparities in pay exist for a number of reasons. I think um, a common one that a lot of people discuss is obvious infancy of the space. However, I think um, there are a lot more pressing um, matters and a lot more destructive matters, such as, you know, the way in which companies uphold racist behaviours within, you know, their structures and also the complete lack of representation and how that um, trickles down into their marketing and also trickles down into the kind of toxic behaviours we often see on the brand side, Um, when it comes to, um, you know, just their feeds and who they decide to include within campaigns and who they decide to pay more.
1: Uploading anonymous posts gave creators of color the freedom to finally talk about the way they'd been overlooked and even abused in this space. How people of color are so often overlooked for the things they create, but also how it can be really scary to talk about, especially when there's money involved. Speaking about it, I think a lot of influencers and creators have had
6: really bad experiences but still to this day fear the consequences of speaking out about those experiences, whether it's going to blackball them within the space, whether it's going to prevent them from having any future opportunities. Especially when it comes to ethnic minorities and and Black creators, you know, I think that that issue is even more intensified when, you know, there's already a shortage of opportunities. You sometimes may feel that speaking out may reduce those opportunities even further, if
1: not remove them entirely. The Influencer Pay Gap now gets hundreds of direct messages a day from all over the world.
3: Hello. I am a content creator. I have an audience of over 60,000. I've been charging around 400 to
4: 500. The company offered me $400. But I feel like I deserve much more. This company is worth over $1 billion. What are some things I should request contractually? Needless to say, I am now looking for new brands to work with. Are there newbie pitfalls
3: I should seek to avoid? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? It
6: just really does expose the degree to which um, some brands have completely normalized, you know, just complete toxic, you know, forms of outreach and, and, and just horrible behavior um, that shouldn't be allowed and that should definitely be nipped in the bud and, and, and regulated. It just goes to show how vulnerable creators can end up being, especially like instances of having done the work and just completely being ghosted or completely being given the run around.
1: Luckily, despite everything we talked about in our Burning Cats episode, there's more and more creators out there who are looking out for each other. Tina is one of those people. Tina's a goddamn gem. She has been this incredible voice in calling out brands and supporting her fellow influencers.
0: Yeah, influencers really started calling brands to the carpet. And there were brands that maybe at the beginning of the year... Would only be willing to pay maybe eight hundred and fifty dollars that they came back midway through the year and they suddenly had a budget that allowed two thousand. And it was like you had this budget the whole time. You just didn't pay us because you didn't think it was we were worth it. Do you think they were paying some of the white influencers that money? They were. I, I mean, cause I have white influencer friends that we openly share rates and things with and they were. And that's why I'm not afraid to share how much I made, because if we don't talk about it, then it kind of just gets swept under the rug or somebody gets undercut because they don't know what they could have asked for. So I'm always willing to, once my contract is signed anyway, I'm always willing to share. I got to sign my contract first, but I'm always willing
1: to share. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I got to make sure that money is actually coming. Uh, but no, it's true. You know, as women, we've been trained for so long, like, oh, don't talk about what you make. Don't talk about your power. And I'm like, no, you let it fly. Because how else are young women and the girls just coming up gonna know what to ask for if we don't tell them what to ask for? Absolutely. In the past six months, Tina has found herself able to set her own rates with brands. She's more confident about the quality of her work now than she's ever been before. Tina is actually one of the most confident people that I've ever met.
0: I hope I can say this as politically correct as possible. Nine times out of 10 in brand boardrooms and marketing rooms, there isn't someone in there that knows how to speak to Black women in a way that it's going to connect. So you're hiring me not only to create content, quality content, you're hiring me to speak to my audience about your product in a way that they feel like it can be of value to their life. And that connection point alone is invaluable.
1: I love Tina. I love her because she knows her goddamn worth. She knows it and she will shout it through the rooftops and tell other women how they can get her kind of confidence. Last year, Tina made a little over $300,000 as an influencer and influencer coach. That let her quit her day job as an insurance adjuster where she was only making $55,000. She is determined not to let herself fall into this pay gap. And she doesn't want other women to either. This industry still has time to change. It still has time to properly value black creators. We are not the first people to put this out there, but I will say, not enough people are reporting on it. We don't talk about it enough, and we should be talking about it right now. This systemic racism is not the only problem facing the influencer world. And I'm sorry to be such a downer in this episode, but to get to the good stuff, we have to dig. We have to dig deep and get through all the problems political issues, all of the political bullshit of the past year, they seep into the influencer world as well. All of the rage and the conspiracy theories, all of it has found a place on the mom internet. Time for a quick break. When we get back, we are going to fall further and further into the dark side. Yes, my friends, I'm going to introduce you to something that you will not be able to get out of your head. The conspiracy theories of mom Instagram. Let's talk about QA Mom. The world was a scary fucking place in 2020. Still pretty scary in 2021. A lot of weird shit. I continue to prefer to call it a shit fuck of a dumpster fire. A lot of what was burning in that shit fuck of a dumpster fire were conspiracy theories. Have you heard some of the shit that got passed around on the internet in 2020 and now in 2021? It's bonkers. And of course, social media is ground zero for that. Just ask Chrissy Teigen. We opened this episode talking about Chrissy Teigen leaving Twitter because of all of the nastiness and shit that had been heaped on her. But a lot of people are also wondering if she left because of the massive harassment she's gotten from members of QAnon. Chrissy and her husband, John Legend, have been attacked by a cabal of conspiracy theorists for the past couple years. QAnon and their followers believe that both John and Chrissy are part of a cult of cannibalistic child abusers, that is, pedophiles who eat babies. Just let that, let that, let that fucking sink in for a minute. They believe that Chrissy Teigen and John Legend eat babies. Anyway, last year when Chrissy posted the emotional and devastating news that she suffered a miscarriage on her social media accounts, she got a ton of support from fans. But none of that was enough to protect her from QAnon's insanity. That's karma for eating kids. Even if she was pregnant at the beginning, it's sad that she lost the baby, but it's probably for the best. Ritual, ritual, ritual sacrifice to get back her fans. I'm going to say it again. Eating, who oh, eat kids? Eating kids? Now, QAnon's probably going to come after me. I definitely don't eat kids. Pizza, yes. Kids, no. So these threats and these baseless claims continued this week after Chrissy deleted her Twitter account. In fact, the conspiracy theorists announced that they were just totally vindicated when she deleted her account because this meant that Chrissy Teigen was obviously being sent to Guantanamo for her alleged completely untrue crimes of eating babies.
3: Let's hope this means she's getting investigated soon and arrested. She's probably trying to delete her obvious pedo evidence, but thankfully the Wayback Machine exists.
1: Last weekend, I was talking about it with some of my mom friends, you know, the book club girls, and they were all like, that's crazy. And I'm like, it is crazy, but it's not that crazy. It's not that crazy because QAnon is all over the internet. In fact, and here we go for the second part of today's episode, QAnon is all over the mom influencing industrial complex.
7: There's a surprising overlap between mom influencers and QAnon. Jesslyn Cook is the tech and online conspiracy
1: theory reporter at HuffPost. That is one of the best beats I've ever heard of. Even better than my original New York Daily News beat of going to Bungalow 8 and getting drunk at 3 a.m. with Lindsay Lohan. Before we get into all this, I want to make sure that we all know what QAnon is. Me included. I needed to talk to an expert because honestly, I hear QAnon and I'm like, "Mm." I still don't know entirely what it is, but I now know that it involves people who believe celebrities are both cannibals and pedophiles. It has something to do with the deep state, maybe the Illuminati, definitely anti-vaxxers and that Hillary Clinton is the devil. But I need more than that.
7: QAnon is a global conspiracy theory movement that's very concentrated in the US. And there is a leader, Q, who is supposedly a government insider, anonymously leaking intel to the public through networks like 8kun. The theory is that there is a deep state cabal of pedophiles in the government that is running an underground child sex trafficking ring. So there's all kinds of horrible, horrible crimes here. And it's very scary. And I think that fear is what draws a lot of people into this movement. So how did Q infiltrate something like mom influencers? A lot of that comes from the fact that Save the Children is very on brand for mom influencers. The whole QAnon movement is about children being sex trafficked and stolen from their parents, pedophilia, all this really scary stuff, um, much of which is not actually happening. But it definitely draws a lot of moms, or as they're known, Kewa moms, into the movement.
1: Wait, I hadn't, they're called Kewa moms?
7: <laughs> yeah. When you think about it that way, you're like,
1: god damn, it's really good branding. Because who can say that they're not against child trafficking and pedophilia? And it's absolutely something that a group like mom influencers would support. What have you found are some of the dangers of this kind of conspiracy theory infiltrating the mom influencing world?
7: Yeah, the scary thing, I think, is that once it reaches the influencer stage, this kind of thinking, this ideology has really been mainstreamed. You know, it used to be we would only see QAnon conspiracy theories on fringe networks, 8chan, 8kun, kind of more far right figures on social media. But now you can just be on Instagram and see a mom say, hey, check out this slow cooker or check out this product I really like. Also, did you know that Hillary Clinton is a cannibal? (laughs) Influencers are people we trust, they're people we look up to. And so when they start pushing these crazy ideas, they seem a little less crazy to us.
1: That point, the one right there that Jesslyn just said, is very interesting. We trust influencers, we trust them, and we have this intimacy with them. They give us smoothie recipes, and they tell us to wear the right white pants before or after Memorial Day. And so when they start to tell you that the world is ruled by a child trafficking ring, you're like, well, that smoothie recipe was really good, so maybe I should trust them.
7: It's that parasocial interaction where you really feel like you are friends with this influencer, you know them, you've seen all sides of their life, and you trust them. I was looking through some of the comments on a specific mom influencers' posts, and so many people were saying, you know, I'd never heard of this stuff, but thanks for putting it on my radar. I'm going to check it out, which is the scary part. That is the scary part. And which mom post was that? The biggest mom I've seen, her name on Instagram is lovebeck. L-U-V-B-E-C and then style. And so she used to have a huge, huge page where she would talk about fashion and like other inspirational topics. And then she started filtering in some QAnon stuff uh, in the spring or summer as the pandemic really blew up and as uh, we started seeing more disinformation flying around. And then she kind of just pivoted her whole page to shoving QAnon conspiracy theories down her followers' throats it does feel more dangerous when a conspiracy theory is beautifully packaged.
1: Seeing a conspiracy theory packaged in like a peachy, hazy, filtered square feels a lot different than, say, reading a creepy Reddit thread, which I think a lot of normal moms are not going to do.
7: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, The long-term QAnon figures on uh, some of those fringe sites, a lot of their propaganda is very scary. You're going to hear very dramatic music. You're going to see a lot of storms and darkness and really trying to stir up that fear. Whereas with q influencers, there's, like you said, very, like pastel colored posts and like cursive writing and very visually appealing stuff that seems very natural. It's the kind of stuff we're used to seeing on Instagram. It's really scary, false information that's being packaged beautifully to make it more trustworthy.
1: And you've also seen that a lot of influencers are talking about COVID-19 conspiracy theories. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
7: Yeah, absolutely. QAnon has been pushing a ton of COVID-19 conspiracy theories. So perhaps it's not so shocking that we're seeing these conspiracy theories trip, trickle into the influencer sphere as well, and uh, specifically with QA moms. But I think a lot of mom influencers are also very interested in the natural wellness space. And so uh, part of that can come with promoting a skepticism of traditional medicine, promoting alternative medicine. Sometimes you see these influencers saying, you know, instead of getting a vaccine, try this immunity boosting serum. And so it all kind of blurs together and uh, ties in very neatly to QAnon conspiracy theories.
1: I did reach out to a lot of alleged QAnon moms and These women wanted nothing to do with me. Many of them told me that they were not actually QAnon moms or at all related to QAnon. But isn't that exactly what you would say if you were peddling a conspiracy theory about people eating babies? I would. I'd be like, I never say she eats babies. But the reporters who are constantly digging into the accounts, they do continue to find some scary stuff out there. And they're finding more of it every single day.
7: This is blowing up a lot. It used to be, I mean, when I wrote my piece several months ago about the mom space and all these influencers, it was, I think I found a dozen doing it, a dozen influencers with kids promoting these theories. And now it's really shockingly commonplace. Um, It often starts with anti-vax content and then gets a little more extreme and promoting this skepticism of the official narrative surrounding COVID-19. Like maybe it is all a government plan. Maybe it is some evil plot by Bill Gates or whomever, and it's a very gradual, slippery slope. (sighs) All of this
1: is a slippery slope. In fact, it's all of the metaphors. A slippery slope, the wild, wild west, a shitfuck of a dumpster fire. But it doesn't have to be this way. It shouldn't have to be this way. I like the world of influencing, and I want it to be better. Maybe asking social media to completely transcend the racist history of the world is too much to ask. But is it? Is it really? Come on! The least we can do is work towards paying influencers of color fairly and equally and giving credit where credit is due. And the least these social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, the least that they can do is try to regulate all of the goddamn conspiracy theories about eating babies and vaccines controlling our brains that threaten democracy and our public health. The world of mom influencing can be a scary fucking place. But as we have said up until now, there's still good that can come from this world. This can still be an incredibly groundbreaking business that gets women paid for all of their unpaid labor, that lets women support their families without all of the shit. Let's just get rid of the shit, guys. Now, I want you to imagine that I am Sally Field as Norma Ray, climbing up onto a table on a factory floor, covered in boob sweat, and holding up a union sign. Because this industry can be better. We can make it better. And also, what does this have to do with unions? Funny you should ask. SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild union, they just recently decided to let influencers into their union. Yeah, influencing is such big business that they are now getting into the SAG-AFTRA union. And next week, I talk to SAG-AFTRA union president, Gabrielle Carteris. Yes. Andrea Zuckerman from Beverly Hills 90210. Andrea was always my favorite. Sorry, Brenda. And she tells me how she believes that the influencer industry is just going to keep growing and growing. And of course, I am still wondering how I can contribute to this brave new internet landscape. Should I still try to be an Instagram influencer? Do I have to have another baby if I wanna be successful at this? My period is late again, so I'm either pregnant or going into early menopause. Is there a future in this for me? Guys, I recently even thought about going on TikTok. I apologize in advance for what is gonna happen on TikTok next week. All right guys, so tonight. night. I'm going to try TikTok. I love TikTok. And you don't know what TikTok is. I love it so much. (laughs) But it is my duty to try this stuff out. And once I do, I will tell you all about where all of this is headed. My very mean producer Emily said that we can't afford to do a clip of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, even though I've been begging and fucking dreaming of using it right here. So I guess I'm just going to have to say it myself. We're going back to the future of Influencing. Under the Influence is reported and hosted by me, Joe Piazza. Our story editor is Glennis McNichol and Emily Marinoff is our producer. Sound design by Emily Marinoff and Jackie Huntington. Our theme and additional music was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Mixing done by Jackie Huntington. Additional research, as always, conducted by Jocelyn Sears. Julian Weller is our consulting producer and Manga Shatikador is our executive producer. Special thanks to Christine Pride, Denise Jolie, Shauna Robinson, Tiano Monogatla, Bailey Herday, Marcy Depina, Lindsey Hoffman, and Abu Zafar for taking the time to read some of the all-around eye-opening and also some of the very bonkers internet comments. But we will not thank Julian Weller because he made us listen to an internet troll impression that he describes as, quote, sweaty Batman. That's karma for eating kids. I'd like to close this episode by saying once again that I do not eat babies and that no baby eating at all occurred in the production of this episode.